Thank you. Thank you both. Everybody who's uh, decided to participate in the on-site and online uh, worship today. Thank you for giving me a moment to adjust. Now, I'm about to start something that you may have heard before. I mean, the, the first few words, you're, you, you're going to say, I've heard that before, and then I'm going to end it with something you've not heard before, so don't tune me out. Some of you already did because it's just after Mark, he's just going to preach again and who cares? It's okay. I know. I'm a preacher's kid. I went to sleep when my dad preached. Look how I turned out. So you're totally entitled to go to sleep and take a nap right now. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, that just woke everybody wide awake. I am not going to turn out like him. There you go. So here it is, folks. You will not look into the eyes of someone who has not searched for something to relieve the ache in their soul. You will not look into the eyes of someone who has not searched for something to relieve the ache in their soul. It's true even when you're gazing at your face in the mirror. And who's never been hurt? Some of us carry, deep, carry deeper scars than others, but all of us have been hurt, haven't we? And how do we cope with that pain? We look for comfort and security in all the wrong places and all the wrong faces. Right? At least that's the way one song puts it. Uh, some of us uh, hold people at arm's length. Others attempt to control everybody. Why? It's to make sure they don't hurt us. They're out there, they can't hurt us. And if we got everything under control, they can't hurt us. Yeah, to borrow a good question from some guy on TV. Now how how's that working for you? <laughs> Sometimes we drown our shame in a sea of booze or drugs or work or religious activities or gambling or food or sex, and the list can go on and on and on and on and on and on and on because we're extremely creative people. Because we're all searching for something to relieve the ache in our souls. And the sad thing is, all these things tend to enslave us to addictions that only make matters worse. Right? So what happens when we hit, finally, hit rock bottom?
until we just keep pushing, what will the final hours of our life be like? Well, we've been following Jesus through the last hours of his life, um, over the last few weeks. Um, we started with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where a mob of, uh, led by one of his closest followers, one of the 12 chosen apostles, um, seized him after sundown on Thursday night. On a Thursday night, 2,000 years ago, about 2,000 years ago, a mob entered the Garden of Gethsemane. They hauled Jesus off to a staged trial at a high-level official's house. Um, there the powers that be condemned him to die, but because they lived in a country occupied by the Roman Empire and they really didn't have the authority to do what they wanted to do, and besides they didn't want to make it look like they were a lynch mob, wanted to make it legal, they had to turn Jesus over to the governor, whose name was Pilate. So first thing Friday morning, they were on Pilate's doorstep demanding Jesus' death. And Pilate declared, he, Jesus, this guy's free of guilt. There's nothing we can charge him on. We've got to let him go. And they uh, kept yelling and screaming, and he caved into the mob's cries for Jesus' crucifixion. Pilate's soldiers stripped Jesus, flogged him, mocked him with a crown of thorns, put a robe of of uh, tattered robe on him, a scarlet robe, and they, then they beat him with a stick, and they stripped him again, and they put his original clothes back on him, and they led him out of Jerusalem to crucify him, and that's where we're picking up the story this morning, in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verses 32 to 49. We're taking this a little bit at a time. We're going to be celebrating in a few weeks. Some of you don't even want me to mention this because it's October and you're afraid that it's dangerous to say things like this, but in a few weeks we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's important for us, I think, to remember where the birth of Jesus leads. And this is where it leads. Matthew 27, verse 32, as they were going out, as they were going out of the city of Jerusalem, they found a man from Cyrene, was a city in what we now call Libya, in northern Africa. They found a man from Cyrene named Simon, whom they forced to carry his cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, and offered Jesus wine mixed with gall to drink. It was kind of a, uh, a pain reliever. They, you know, it was a humane thing to do. We're about to torture you to death, so we don't want you to feel bad. Really? Never mind. Uh, after tasting it, Jesus wouldn't drink it. Uh, when, when they had crucified him, they put him on the cross, that is, they divided his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat down and kept guard over him there. Above his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this was the charge. This is why he was crucified. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. His only crime. The only thing he was crucified for was the king. Then two outlaws were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by defamed him, shaking their heads and saying, 
You who can destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are God's son, come down from the cross. I'm going to do a quick flashback to Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus met Satan in the wilderness. Three of those temptations that Jesus had with Satan were recorded, and two of them begin with those very words, if you are God's son. They showed up in the mouths of the mob. Satan's there. Can't see him. He's not getting, he's not getting the publicity. But he's using this mob, rocking Jesus as his mouthpiece, still saying the same thing. If you're God's son, you don't have to put up with all this. Come on down. In the same way, even the chief priests, together with the experts in the law and the elders, were mocking him. He saved others. But he cannot save himself. Pop quiz for everybody in the room. What's Jesus mean? His name. What does Jesus mean? Okay, relief, because you'll find out in a few weeks, but I'll tell you. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. There's one thing I know, people have not changed a whole lot. I, and I could ask you to raise your hand. If you, if people, kids on the playground did not do something with your name when you were growing up to tease you, you have the most unique name in the world. Please let me know how that works. Because I, you know, I'm going to have more grandkids, I hope, someday. Or we're going to have great grandkids. We want to have the tease-proof names passed on to these kids. <coughs> I have no taker so far. Here is Jesus. They're making fun of his name. As he's hanging there, naked, dying on a cross, they're making fun of him. And then they call out again his crime. He's the king of Israel. If he comes down from the cross, we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God, if he wants to, deliver him now because he said, I am God's son. The robbers who were crucified with him also spoke abusively to him. Like they had nothing better to do. Sorry, that's, Mark gets a little sarcastic sometimes. Lord, please forgive me. Now from noon until three, Friday, noon till three, darkness came over all the land. At about three o'clock, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is, means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge filled with sour wine and put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink. 
But the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. We ask questions all the time, like Jesus asked from the cross. Why is God doing this to me? Why is God letting this happen? Where is God? Where's God now? Where was God when that happened? Hurting persons often discover or if they don't, dis don't discover it, they experience it uh, of distrust, a very distrust and anger toward God. Some, some people who find themselves in recovery uh, find it difficult to even pray to so to speak to look God in the, straight in the eye abuse or neglect at the hands of a caregiver or other persons uh, badly tarnished words like God and Father for them and here's Jesus for folks who have been in those places, I want you to understand, even Jesus understands how you feel. Don't ask me how to explain this, but God himself asked God, where are you? So where is God when we fall into the deepest pits in this broken world? Where is he when we fall into any pit? I've been looking at this story, this record of Jesus, and this is what I think. This is what I believe. When we're in our deepest, darkest dungeon pit, we're at the foot of his cross, and God is right there with us. Bishop N.T. Wright puts it this way, the gospel story, the gospel message is the story of the God who doesn't stay above the pain and the sorrow of our world. God's intention from all eternity to come and live with it in his own world with his human creatures was gloriously and shockingly fulfilled when he came to the place of pain and sorrow, of justice denied, truth sneered at, and love trampled on. Our place. Where is God when we're in a hole? with us. And everyone's in a deep hole. 
There is a parable used in 12-step programs. Some of you may have seen this or heard this. Been, I've seen it on Facebook. I've seen it on LinkedIn. I've seen it in multiple places. It's, it's a great parable. I'm going to... It's not a parable of Jesus. It's a parable of AA, but I like it. I'm going to share it with you because it's got some good stuff here. An alcoholic fell in a hole and couldn't get out. A business person walked by and the addict called out for help. The business person threw him some money and told him to buy himself a ladder. But the alcoholic could not buy a ladder because there's no store in the hole. And it, he was still stuck in the hole. The doctor walked by. The alcoholic said, help, I can't get out. The doctor gave him some drugs and said, take these. It will help with the pain. It will help you not to drink. The alcoholic said, thanks. But when the pills ran out, he was still in the hole. A psychiatrist rode by and heard the alcoholic's cries for help. He stopped and asked, oh. How did you get there? Did your parents put you there? Tell me about yourself. It will alleviate your sense of loneliness. So the alcoholic talked with him for about an hour. Then the psychiatrist had to leave because their session was over. But he said, I'll be back next week. The alcoholic thanked him, but he was still in the hole. A priest came by. The alcoholic called out for help. The priest gave him a Bible and said, I'll say a prayer for you. He got down on his knees and prayed for the alcoholic. Then he left. The alcoholic was very grateful. He read the Bible, but he was still stuck in the hole. A recovering alcoholic happened to be passing by. The alcoholic cried out, Hey, help me. I'm stuck in this hole. Right away, the recovering alcoholic jumped in the hole with him. <laughs> the alcoholic said, what are you doing? Now we're both stuck here. But the recovering alcoholic said, calm down. It's okay. I've been here before. I know how to get out. Now, here's the thing. The addict's problem is blatantly obvious. Some holes are blatantly obvious. But I see an irony in this story. You can expect that from me because I like irony. There's an irony in this story. Everybody else has a hole. It's just not as obvious. The business person has a hole. They're stuck in the hole of thinking that money and possessions will fix things. So you find somebody with a problem, just throw money at it. That'll fix it. I call that the American dream. That's the way we fix everything in our country. Throw money at it. Well, how's that working? The doctor is in the hole of prescribing pills to fix things. Here, take some pills, take some pills, take some pills, take some pills. Here's some pills. Now take these pills to counteract the side effects of the pills that came from those pills. Oh, and here's some more pills to take the pills. 
or the side effects from the second set of pills. And then the next thing you know, you're taking a whole medicine cabinet full of pills and taking care of the pills and taking care of the pills for the first pills. And you don't even remember why you started taking the first pills to begin with. Not saying that pills aren't important. I take some pills. I'm grateful for the pills. But Pills don't fix everything. Psychiatrist is in a hole assuming that talking about issues will make them go away eventually. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Talking about things doesn't always get to the issue, the real problem. The well-meaning priest is stuck in a hole of religious activities. Here, read a Bible. Everyone searches for something to relieve the ache in their soul. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's pills, sometimes it's booze, sometimes it's religious activities, sometimes it's just talking to somebody else about a problem and paying them money for an hour and then coming back in a week and talking to them again. Not that that's not helpful, it just may not be the way you think it's going to fix the fact that we're all in a deep hole. But there's something else we need to know. There is only one person who can jump into every hole with every person and say, I know the way out. Don't panic. I know the way out. See, Jesus knows the way out of every hole because he loves generously. And this is our real problem, folks. Fractured families and, person, and, and, and persons enslaved by addictions and, and false ideas and false looking for false things for hope grow out of a lack of love, real love. Not, not just warm, mushy feelings. This love poverty that's is permeating our world results in even more alienation from people and from ourselves. We, we just, we're hurting and we're aching and we hold people off and we don't know each other. And we, and how do we get to know each other? Well, we got to love people. We don't got to love people because we love people. That are, it's, a, it's a circle we're stuck in. See, Jesus knows the way out of every hole because he does everything. Everything he does is motivated by love. So if you're going to remember anything at all about what Jesus did for us on the cross, remember this. Jesus gave up everything to meet us in our brokenness, guilt, and pain, and he did it all for love. did it all for love. He sacrificed it all for love. God doesn't wait for us to clean up our lives or our world. He comes down to the place where our hopes and aspirations and all the things that we, we wanted to and everything's come crashing to the ground and he meets us there. If we were to wait till we had our act together, we would never see him. 
At the cross, God meets every person at rock bottom, offers a healing hug, and invites them to follow him out of the hole. I know the way. The good news in Jesus is not that he's going to offer some way for us to figure out how we can help ourselves climb out of the hole, but that he is going to come into our lives and through his Holy Spirit transform us change us and heal us from the inside out. He's going to heal that aching hole in our souls. Jesus goes into the deepest pits with you all for love. He, he wants you to feel in the very center of who you are. He doesn't want to just be something you know. Uh, song that you sang maybe when you were growing up or heard, heard some little kids sing sometime. He wants you to know that come to the very core of your being. Jesus loves me. He is not only know. I know that 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 no matter what else there is going on in the world, Jesus loves me. You are not alone. Holy Spirit dwells with you. God's Holy Spirit dwells with you. God moves into your pit with you all because of love. Jesus self-sacrificing, self-giving love. And this is not some mystical thing. Because he turns to each of us as he moves into our pit with us. And as he loves us, he then invites us to jump into a hole with someone else. You see, because our task is to help people discover that the dark journey they've been traveling leads to the foot of the cross. Just like our journeys brought us to the foot of the cross. And that where we get to the foot of the cross, that's where we meet the God who has come to meet them. Jesus gave up everything all for love so that he could meet us and everyone else in our brokenness, our guilt, and our pain. And he did it all because of his love for us. He sacrificed everything to satisfy that deep longing you carry. Longing for the love that only he can give. And you can only experience it as you give it away to others. Let's pray. King Jesus, no one, absolutely no one. No one loves us as much as you do. <clears throat> and I pray that that goes beyond your concept, a statement of theology and doctrine. I pray that it becomes an experience for each and every one of us, and that we help others become, get to experience that, that, that we 
any way of explaining it or not, expressing it or not, that we know your love in the very center of who you are. If we ever doubt it, take us to the cross again. The God of gods, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the creator of all things, loved us enough to leave his throne, <coughs> become one of us, and die with us in pain and shame. We will not forget the cross and the pain you suffered for us. You carried all of our brokenness, guilt, and shame so we can be free, so we can be healed, so we can be whole. We'll never forget the day. Your love broke through all of our defenses, through all of our walls and all of our calluses, make a way for hope to grow in our hearts again. Jesus, what would we have done if you you hadn't reached out to us? What, what would we have done if it wasn't for your giving love? Where would we be if it wasn't for your powerful, potent love? What would we have become <laughs> We don't even want to think about this. What would we have become if it wasn't for the sacrifice you made for us on the cross? You did it all because of your love for us. There should be no other reason. We're in awe of your great love. With your help, we will live lives learning to love as you love. With our actions and with our words, we'll spread your praise until this world is filled with people healed by your love and sharing your love with still more people. Thank you for being with us today. Particularly, I want to thank those folks who connect with us online. If you have not already done so, I want to invite you to join the Champions of Hope Facebook group. Uh, you can get some unique contact content there and have opportunities to connect with other uh, people who are trying to infuse folks with the hope of Jesus. Well, Jesus has been with us. Jesus has loved us. And his simple mission for us is for us to go love some other people in his name. So, you are sent. 
Go with Jesus.